0: It was a surreal feeling, standing in that attic, surrounded by boxes of memories. A mass of old things left to me after my mother sadly passed away. The last couple months had been very difficult. The arrangements, the funeral, all of it weighed heavily on my mind. At least, until everything wrapped up this week, I could start to digest what it was truly like to live in this world without her. This attic full of boxes it felt like a different world she kept many memories about our lives stowed away in this place my mother raised me alone for the most part I remembered my father but only just a little bit I was a young kid when he left just packed up and walked out the door I remember my mom the most how stoic she was after he left we were a team me and her somehow getting by on hard work. What remained of that life now was sitting before me, coated in dust in some old boxes. I grabbed a nearby rocking chair, sliding it across the uneven wood floor of the attic and over to several unopened memories. The first was a set of framed pictures, several of which were of me as I grew up. I picked up one that was of my mom and dad's wedding. Taken in the early 80s, I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit at the attire. They looked happy, though, ready to begin their life, start a family. I stared at the man beside her, tall, smiling ear to ear. I remembered very little about him as a person, just that when he was around, he was kind, looked out for me. I have one very fond memory where he introduced me to all sorts of different music. He knew I loved it, so he played me something from every genre. It must have been a good influence because I became a musician in real life. Honey, uh, some things like that just sort of stick with you. In my case, being the thing I love to do. My mom never told me why he left, just that we were on our own. and. I had to make do without him. It used to make me angry, but my mom never felt that way. She would tell me it was best for all of us, and that it was how I handled myself that mattered. I was young when he left in the early 90s, but I definitely remembered it. Not just the event, but how it crushed us when he took off. I placed the picture back into the box and set it aside dust swirling around me as I revealed the package just below it. My heart stopped a moment as I saw the name scribbled across it. Matthew's Things, it said. I didn't know she'd kept any of his stuff. She seemed to have moved on so quickly and decisively that I never wondered what he might have left behind. I hesitated over the box for at least a minute. Considering whether or not I wanted to see its contents, remnants of a man I barely knew, but whose actions so heavily shaped my childhood, curiosity overriding any possible objections, I opened the box and peered inside. Inside the box was a bundle of clothing, nothing unusual. Some dusty pants and collared shirts. I continued to dig, finding a strange long black robe. I couldn't begin to imagine what he would have worn this for, maybe a college graduation or something. As I reached the bottom of the box, wholly beginning to believe I wasn't going to find anything enlightening about this man, I found something bewildering. There was a single, nondescript vinyl record, the outer packaging unlike anything I had ever come across. Its front cover had all sorts of strange symbols almost like an archaic language, had been written out here. A writing whose translation had long been lost to history. Past the curiosity that the front cover presented, what was contained on the inside was beyond anything I could have dreamt up. There was a paper sleeve that held the vinyl in place, but it was obvious that there was more to this packaging. I held up the sleeve to the window in the attic, Light penetrating the thin paper, and revealing that along the edges of the record, there was some kind of code. As I removed the vinyl from the packaging, it revealed more of the code. Letters printed in no discernible pattern on every inch of the surface where the record had been. I held the sleeve up to the light, trying to make sense of it. They seemed to be numbered, I suppose indicating the tracks the record contained, but everything else was a jumble. I stared at it in wonder, what could all of this be? Looking back at the vinyl, I decided that the rest of the boxes were going to wait. I could go through old family photos later, but I had to hear what was on this as soon as possible. Perhaps a strange sense of curiosity and adventure driving me to find answers. I drove home to where I had an antique turntable. The drive into the city where my apartment was located was a long one for the time of day, and resting on the record, illogically thinking if I took my hand or eyes off of it that it might roll legs and run away. By the time I reached the front door, the sun was waning, dimmed rays hitting the side of the building. I turned the key to the deadbolt, and throwing my keys in a tray by the front door, I immediately went to the living room to fire up the record. The vinyl spun quietly on the player, needle hanging above it, anticipating the contact with the cuts and grooves of the turning plastic. I'll admit I hesitated. Uncertainty about what I was going to find. Was I putting too much stock into this discovery? Aligning my desire for answers about my family to a record that, for all I know, had nothing on it at all. I released the lever for the needle. and watched it slowly land onto the vinyl. A bassy crackle rang through my living room speakers, that recognizable static that precedes the audio tracks in the blank grooving along the outer edge. I stepped back, waiting for whatever this had in store for me. Sounds of a cash register and clinking money began filling my apartment. Then the undeniable bass line for the song, Money. I stood, staring at the record, a bit perplexed that this song from Dark Side of the Moon would be playing as the first track. This certainly wasn't the record where it originated. I sat on my nearby couch, enjoying the music, but admittedly confused at the same time. The next song came on, Tom Sawyer by Rush. I'm not sure I knew what I was expecting. Certainly not this, I thought, confused. My father had a rock mix cut into a custom vinyl. What were these letters about on the sleeve? The next song came on, one I couldn't quite remember the name of, but undeniably Led Zeppelin. The last song on this side of the record, though, struck a nerve. Rusty Cage by Soundgarden, a song that was released the same year my father took off. Maybe it was because it was on the radio a lot at the time, but that song stuck with me. Whether it made sense or not, I always tied it to that event in my life. He must have had this vinyl cut just before he left. Why would he do this? Nothing made sense. Just like when I was a kid, no one gave me any answers. Now I just had some old clothes and a bizarre vinyl he had custom made for no apparent reason. I cut the power to the turntable, putting the needle back to its cradle, and picked up the record. I wanted to throw the thing against the wall, some relic of a man that I never knew, never understood, leaving behind something as cryptic and distant as he was. Taking a breath to calm myself, I gripped the black plastic in both hands, but decided I couldn't bring myself to destroy it. I picked up the dust sleeve with the printed, jumbled letters. Could have just left me a note like a normal person, Dad, I said out loud as I placed the vinyl back into the sleeve. I went to bed early that night, mind racing over the mix of emotions and confusion that I'd put myself through. I didn't think going through an attic of old stuff would affect me so much, but the last couple of months have been rough. Rest. rest. what I needed. My head hit the pillow, eyes closed. I tried to clear my mind and let my body drift into sleep. Songs played over and over again in my head, weaving a chorus of restless sleep in my mind. The vinyl kept spinning, the turntable moving on its own. I rolled over in my sleep, but another song played. Sitting up in bed, I rubbed my temples, trying to suppress the music. I couldn't let it go, though, brain continuing to work on the puzzle, figure out what my father was trying to communicate. I walked to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Leaning against the cool countertop, I drank heavily from the glass. I took in a deep breath of air and rubbed my head again. The music from the record was still playing on repeat in my head. I remembered an interview with one of the artists that I saw years ago. It was funny at the time, because they had been bemoaning one song in particular off the record. One of their bandmates had come up with a really obnoxious time signature. It was so unusual, they had to keep their part of the track very simple. I chuckled a little bit to myself. The struggles some of these guys went through coming up with their masterpieces decades ago. I took another drink of water and then nearly choked on the revelation that hit me. I spat out the water into the sink, coughing and sputtering. Looking to my right at the vinyl on the counter, I pulled the cover and dust sleeve over. I glanced down at the letters, the confusing, nonsensical arrangement of characters, the track numbers and songs playing in my head as I looked at each bundle of text. It... it couldn't be. Moving to the turntable... I reset the needle and started the first track again. The sound of jingling money once again rang out into my apartment, then the bass line and that really unusual time signature. I thought again to the interview. It was in seven-four, if I remembered correctly. I moved back to the sleeve and looked down at the text. It was a cipher, and the time signature was the key, but how? I tried several different combinations of the two numbers. Then finally I pulled seven letters in, the fourth letter in that set. I wrote down the letters as I moved through the block of text till finally I reached the end. I stepped back, not believing what I was seeing, the two simple words written out in plain text from the cipher. Hello, Mikey, it said mind racing. I grappled with the revelations sitting on the paper in front of me, a greeting hidden in this cryptic puzzle from a man that abandoned me years ago. How and why this existed begged to be explored further. I was obsessed, listening to each song, counting the time and returning to the cipher each time taking the larger of the two numbers in the time signature as my number of characters, then the smaller number as the selection within the set. The time passed without notice. I was enthralled by the puzzle, and the key was here in my grasp. It wasn't too long, though, before I had another message in front of me. I'm sorry I have to leave. I read from my own handwriting. Written in the present tense, as if he'd left this vinyl behind like a note rather than mailing it to my mother later. What state was he in that he put together such an elaborate goodbye, especially one he had to have known I wouldn't uncover until many years later. The next songs played, and the new words lay before me. Very dangerous. Don't follow unless found, it read. It didn't make any sense, but perhaps the next message will shed more light. This next set was often American. Once I had the results written out, I sat down in the chair at the table, taking in the unbelievable information it held. I was staring at a set of coordinates, an exact place somewhere on the earth where I could, presumably, find my father. I quickly found my laptop and keyed in the location. The anticipation pulsing through my body, I stared at the loading bar as the computer rushed to bring me the information. When the satellite image focused down on the GPS location, I felt a strange mix of emotions, realizing that I wasn't sure what I expected to find. A bunker out in the middle of the desert, maybe? A shack out in the woods? The image displayed before me was that of a small suburban town, nothing astonishing or mysterious about it at all, except for the marker pinpointing this location, I would have completely dismissed this place as any other town on my way somewhere else. Also, for someone who is so mysterious and in great danger, I wasn't expecting to see his location in the center of a town, a house like any other. Surrounded by a cookie-cutter patchwork of other homes, what do I make of this? It all seemed like a big joke right now. Some weird prank left behind to make me think he had a real reason for leaving. I wanted to shut the laptop and forget the whole thing, leave behind this wild goose chase and get on with my life. Like with the rest of this puzzle, though, I felt the irresistible urge to continue the quest despite my mix of emotions about this person. Checking navigation options, it would only take me roughly thirteen hours to get to this town. I could make that in a day, I thought to myself. After dropping a note to my boss, feigning the flu, I packed up a light suitcase and my dad's box of things. I tried to get a few hours of sleep before an early start. A racing mind and confusing dreams plagued my restless sleep, my brain tried to make sense of the situation while I slept fruitless and repetitious exercise that brought me no answers after a few hours of this i resigned myself to starting the journey only going to this location and seeing if he was truly there would give me some resolution it was still dark when i got into the car and turned the key in the ignition halogen lights burned dimly in the black of the early morning a pale lantern to light my way through this enigma The drive was hypnotizing, the headlights of other cars lazily passing me on the other side of the freeway, a drone of the tire rubber on pavement producing a sleep-inducing effect. I blinked and took another sip of coffee, fighting off sleep for another hundred miles. It wasn't until a few hours into the drive that the sky began to show the dark purple and orange of the coming sunrise, a welcome sight that I was beginning to think wasn't coming. The night stretching into an endless river, exiling the day from the world. Outside the urban, concrete landscape that I was used to, the scenery quickly changed to long stretches of open land. Animals grazing in the distance, providing a stark contrast to a life in the city. In so many ways, it was a blank canvas, but was better left unfilled. A peaceful simplicity seemed to permeate it, bringing a calmness to the chaos of my mission. The small suburban town came into view, creating a pit in my stomach, a sort of fearful anticipation of what I was going to find. I pulled up to the house where the GPS coordinates led me. It was as unremarkable as the satellite image I saw of it. I climbed the steps to the front door, a metal knocker, Silently from the solid door, I lifted it and knocked loudly. A metal clanking noise echoed hollowly through the hallways of the home. Approaching footsteps struck me in the chest with each step. Was this really going to be him? I had mentally prepared myself for this to be someone I didn't know, letting me know that he had moved on years ago. It had been so many years since he left, since the record. It just seemed so unlikely he'd still be here. The door opened, though, and a man stood before me, face lined with age, and the gray in his hair having taken the color long ago. I knew, though, even from my memory as a small boy, that this was him. A face burned into my mind, with every range of emotion tied to it love, anger, disappointment longing. A firestorm of thoughts, a million words to say, encapsulated in the pit of my stomach, none of them escaping. Can I help you? He asked, but with a quizzical look on his face. He hadn't immediately recognized me, but the look he gave looked like he had a suspicion. It had been so many years, could I really blame him for not immediately seeing the resemblance? "'Wait,' he paused. "'Mikey, is that you?' I couldn't bring myself to say anything. I just nodded, tears welling up in my eyes. He looked shocked, standing there in the doorway, taking me in. Then he looked up and down the street, expression changing from shock to urgency. "'Come inside, quickly,' he said, waving an arm and ushering me into the house. Once the door closed, he embraced me in a hug. I hugged him back, but it was a short-lived reunion before he spoke again. Mikey, you you can't be here if you're found, he said, putting a hand to his head and through his hair. I've wanted to know my whole... I started, the words catching in my throat. Where have you been all this time? I've been here, he said. Mikey... We need to get you out of here. We can talk, but you need to be away from this house. Why? I asked, starting to get a little frustrated at the dismissal. Before he could answer, there was a knock at the door. He put a hand on my arm and moved me around a corner from the door. Putting a finger to his lips to signal for quiet, he disappeared to the front of the house. The door opened, and I heard him give a curt greeting before closing it again woman's voice rang out in the hallway. Are you ready to do this, Matthew? They asked. No, my dad said. There's been a complication. What? She exclaimed, tone immediately rising to the response. What do you mean? She walked around the corner and jumped a little at the sight of me. She turned back to my dad without addressing me. Who the heck is this? She asked. Keep your voice down, he said firmly in reply. This is my son, and no, I wasn't expecting him. The words cut me a little, feeling like I had come all this way after so many years just to be an inconvenience. You never mentioned you had a family, the woman said coolly, turning her head to look at me again as if I was some sort of specimen to be examined. Not that you've been totally honest about your past. The feeling's mutual, he said smartly. But now that he's here, we're going to need to change the plan. There's no way he arrived unnoticed. Oh, you think? She replied. I'm still convinced that woman can see through walls. Um, excuse me, I interjected awkwardly. They both paused their argument, giving me their attention. I don't really know what's going on here. Do either of you care to explain? I asked. My dad looked from me to the woman, who threw up her hands in an exasperated sort of way. Mikey, this is Haley. She's a former member of the family. I helped her escape years ago. By the way to move forward, he started to explain. Escape? I asked, totally confused. Your dad's in a cult, Haley said bluntly. They do screwed up things to kids here, and he's one of the few who will do anything about it. My dad put up a hand as if to cool the tone. I met your mom on the outside, he said. We were in love, but when the family found us, I had to leave. I couldn't risk bringing you into this thing. None of this made sense. He could have come and visit us especially if he had found a way to escape in the first place. I wasn't buying this excuse. "'You expect me to believe that?' I asked, indignance clearly coming through in my tone. "'So you leave, and now you can't get away again. Not even a letter, just some weird record for me to find years later.' "'There are forces at work here you don't understand,' he said, shaking his head. "'Load of crap,' I said. I'm not sure what I was expecting coming here. Certainly not some crazy story about how you're in a cult and couldn't be bothered to reach out to your son. We don't have time for this, voiced Haley from my left. Can we work out you being a crappy father after we get these kids out of here? My father opened his mouth, perhaps to protest, but never got the chance. The sound of a car door closing came from outside. My dad went to the window and peered through a crack in the blinds. She's here, he said cryptically. Haley cursed quietly. I swear there's something about that woman, she said. More than you know, my dad said. Haley grabbed my arm and my father led us to a basement door. He closed us into the darkness and locked the door shut. A small line of light pierced the sides of the door where the fit in the frame wasn't perfect. In that very dim light, I could see Haley press her finger to her lips to stress the need for quiet. The front door opened, and at least three sets of feet entered the house, nice shoes echoing off the hard floors of the home. "'Hello, Matthew,' the voice of an older woman, sing songily rang out into the house. "'Good morning, Helen.' my dad said, undoubtedly forcing an enthusiastic, polite tone. What can I do for you? I wanted to make sure you'll be joining us this evening for the summoning. We missed you on the last one, she said. I'm I'm surprised you noticed, he said. I had business on the outside, as I'm sure you know. I do. Even so. "'You're expected to pay tribute,' she continued. "'Of course,' he said. "'Whose car is parked outside your house?' asked Helen. "'A sudden pang of guilt hit my stomach. "'She had to have been talking about my car. "'I looked over at Haley. "'My expression must have told the story because she glared back at me. "'Car?' my dad said, feigning confusion. What car? The car parked right in front of your house, she said matter-of-factly. Do you have a visitor I should know about? No, maybe it's a tourist, my dad suggested. Helen chuckled in an unimpressed sort of way. Surely not, she said. By all means, Helen, if you know something I don't, please enlighten me, my dad replied sharply. There was an awkward pause till Helen finally spoke. Mm -hmm. We will see you at the summoning tonight, she said, any semblance of politeness now gone from her voice. I'll be there, my dad said. The footsteps receded further down the hall, and I heard the front door open. As it closed, Haley stood up straight trying to peer through the gap in the door to see if the coast was clear. The door opened and light rushed into the basement stairway. My dad was there, shaking his head. Both Haley and I stepped into the main hallway. "'We need to abort, Haley,' he said. "'No, no!' she replied. "'This is our only chance to get Diana and the other girls out. "'You know this. "'I can't risk my son getting caught up in this.' he said. Haley looked from my dad to me. You think finding your dad was the most important thing in your life? She said to me. If we don't act tonight, these girls could die. But how? I asked, still bewildered, no answer I was being given having made sense. Haley scoffed and threw her hands up, starting to walk toward the door. Haley, wait, my dad said. We can make another attempt We'll just need to come up with a new plan. I want to help, I said. They both stopped and turned to me, Haley looking pleasantly surprised, my dad with a look of horror on his face. You'll just need to fill me in here, I said. There's a ceremony tonight, said Haley. Matthew here will create a distraction, giving me an opportunity to reach the girls who've asked me for help. They're coming up on the day of the ritual. It's difficult to explain what that is. Just know that they're in danger. This will never work, Haley, my dad said. How could he help? Come to the ritual with me? Think they'd spot him wearing that? He gestured to the clothing I was wearing. I brought a box of your old things, Dad. There was a kind of robe in it, I said. Perfect, said Haley. See, it's like he was meant to help. Defeated, my dad looked from Haley to me. This is crazy. Are you sure you want to do this? he asked me. If there's really a danger here, I want to help, I said confidently. We made plans to meet up with Haley one more time that evening before heading to the ceremony. My dad opened up the box of things that my mom had stored for him, pulling out the record that led me here. I knew you'd be able to follow the breadcrumbs, Mikey, he said. How's your mom? The pain of that topic cut fresh when he said it. In the commotion of the arrival, there hadn't been a chance to talk about it. She... she passed, Dad, said, choking on the words. Oh, he said, clearly not expecting that to be the answer to his question. Was she sick? answer i said leaving no other avenue for inquiry i'm sorry mikey he said turning away part of me wanted to rage at him again put him in his place for not being there for her when she would have needed him i paused though the task we were given seemed to supersede how i was feeling we could help whoever these people were Maybe there would be answers for me in this task. Who was the woman from earlier, I asked, wanting to change the subject. Someone very dangerous, he replied. She's extremely old, Mikey. My ancestors have been in this family since the start, all the way back to one of your great-grandfathers during the Civil War. Something he did then set this entire thing into motion. He pulled the long black robes out of the box, holding them up to me and nodding with approval. These will do, he said. You're about my size, and they haven't changed much about these things. This group's all about tradition. So what's the plan? I asked. Haley mentioned some sort of distraction. We're going to the summoning, a ritual only the men of the family participate in, he explained. I have a little surprise plan. A small explosive hidden in one of the nearby worksheds. Nobody will be in it. He added that last part as he saw my reaction. An explosive. I truly knew nothing about this man. After it goes off, we will hang back in the crowd and provide cover for the girls as they leave at a rallying point Haley has set up for them. If all goes well, we can get them to a getaway car during the mayhem he finished. I pulled the old black ropes over my head, bringing the hood down over my face. It was so large it would be easy to hide my features underneath it. If we'd be wearing these the entire time, there would be no telling I was an outsider. My dad sighed. It fits you almost too well, he said. Everything I did was to keep you away from all this. It seems some things are destined to happen though. Our family ties to the rituals have a pull greater than just you and I. It's in our very blood. The time to the ritual approached quickly. As the sun dipped below the trees and roof lines of the houses, we stepped out the front door. Several other hooded figures joined us on the sidewalk, heading toward the main event. We hung back from the crowd looking out for Haley, who was waiting on the side of a bookshop that had closed for the evening. We stepped into the shadow of the building to go over the plan one final time. And when the explosion goes off, you'll have maybe five minutes to make your way to the car. You have it positioned, right? My dad asked. Yes, I'm ready, she said, her voice steady. My dad nodded and motioned for me to follow him. The sidewalk twisted into a large grove of trees. They were so tightly packed with foliage so thick, it was difficult to see further than the path. It turned again and everything opened up into a large, circular structure. Sedent steps led to what appeared to be some sort of altar. Behind it stood two more cloaked figures, and who must have been the Helen Woman. Greetings, friends she said, a wide smile on her face. You know why we are here. Our family has a need, a need to continue our fortune, to further our golden age that has lasted for centuries. There was a muttering of excitement and agreement at these words from the crowd. Bring forth the ash, she called out. A robed man, his garments were colored red with golden embroidery carried forward a large object on a chain he placed what looked like a large urn in front of Helen and bowed away from her she raised a hand as if thanking the man with this ash we call upon you from the underworld See us out so that we may form a symbiosis she called out with two hands she picked up the large urn and climbed some steps that were behind the altar. The group around us all started muttering words in a language I couldn't identify. I looked to my right, to my dad for guidance. He ever so slightly shook his head as if to say we should not participate. The Helen woman began speaking words in the language and then upended the urn over the altar, dumping its contents onto the cold cement. There was an immediate effect as the ash touched the object. It seemed to glow faintly. The ash seemed to congregate unnaturally into a circular pile. Then a loud, cracking noise rang out, and a dark red glow seemed to come from the center of the dust. I choked back a scream as a large, decaying hand gripped the edge of the altar. It was pulling itself out of the solid cement through the pile of ash an arm, then a head. The rest of its body came next. A bone-thin, skin-peeling, rotting monster. It had a chain around its neck which jingled as the rusty links clinked against its body. It breathed heavily as it completely surfaced from wherever it came from below. It coughed and sputtered a little, as if it wasn't accustomed to breathing normal air. The Helen woman approached the creature with a large smile, arms wide as if, astoundingly, she was going to embrace the monster. That's when I felt a hand on my arm. My dad had reached out, putting a single finger to his ear. Then he put a hand in his pocket, and a deafening explosion rang out somewhere in the grove. My ears immediately began ringing that distinctive pale tone that indicated hearing damage. It was so powerful that the concussive force made me stagger. Several people in the crowd were so shocked they were holding their hands to their ears. As everyone began to recover from the explosion, the crowd began to move to the source. A dim glow seemed to indicate that a small fire had started around where the detonation took place. Elders in the group were calling out orders to extinguish the flames and find the perpetrators. My dad and I took this opportunity to peel off from the main group. We moved to go around a bend in the grove when I took one last look back at the altar. The Helen woman was still standing with the monster. It was hard to be sure, but I could have sworn that her attention was entirely on us as we made our way out of the clearing. I turned to my dad who was running with me. You call that a small explosive? I asked. He shook his head. I might have made a miscalculation, he said embarrassed. We moved along the outer tree line to avoid being seen, making our way to a series of houses that were positioned next to the grove. Haley was peeking around the side of one of the structures, waving us toward her. She was flanked by three young women all of which bore terrified looks on their faces. Matthew, what the heck was that? She asked, exasperated. Where's the car? My dad asked, dismissing the question. This way, she said. We all ran together, no one looking around or speaking, all intent on the mission to get out of this place as soon as possible. On the other side of this row of houses, a small road had been paved. Signs indicated that It led to some kind of reservoir for the community's water supply. A car was parked just off the road behind a section of overgrowth in the woods. As we approached, a familiar voice from behind broke the silence. Matthew! They said, clearly a woman's voice. My dad and I turned, and the blood drained from his face. The Helen woman was there, blanked by the monster that had been summoned from the ash. Go with Haley, he said quickly. Help them get out of here. Go. Wait, Dad, I... I started. You have to go, now, he said, pushing my arm hard and forcing me back from him. From the distance, Ellen raised her hand and my dad seemed to seize on the spot. His arms and legs extended from his body and he floated in the air for a moment then hands and arms burst from the ground below him, searching and grasping for anything to cling to. Ellen let her hand drop from her side, and my father fell face first into the grasping hands and arms. He struggled on the ground to free himself, but to no avail. Go, Mikey, he yelled, struggling to keep his head up. His body seemed to sink into the ground, fall through it as if it had been a Pool of liquid. He was gone, pulled down into the earth by the hands of the damned that had been brought to life to ensnare him. I didn't know what else to do. There wasn't any defense against this supernatural force. I turned and ran, catching up to the women in the hidden car. Get in! Haley shouted to me as the car roared to life. I climbed into a passenger seat as she floored it, Kicking up dirt and mud until the tires met pavement, she turned the car toward Helen and the monster. I looked from them to Haley, whose eyes had narrowed in a look of pure hatred. What are you doing? I yelled, convinced she was going to try to ram them. Helen stood there, unmoving, with a wide smile on her face. The car revved louder, reaching closer to its top speed. Helen began to raise her arm, undoubtedly calling another deadly force to attack us. I looked back at Haley and then reached for the wheel. The car lurched to the right, which Haley struggled to correct. The car swerved, narrowly missing Helen and the monster. Why did you do that? She screamed. We need to get out of here, I replied. I don't think a car can hurt her. Haley yelled, slamming her fist into the steering wheel, but continuing on out of the community. The crowds of cloaked figures watched as we made our way down the road unable to pursue us having been distracted by the explosion and the fire. We drove for another hour from the borders of the family enclave. Eventually, we pulled onto a large rural property with a detached garage and workshop. Haley reached for a long pole cord that brought the big metal door down enclosing us inside. The other girls had also gotten out of the car, literally shaken up from the escape and leaving their homes. I wondered what plans would be made for them to seek a new life outside the enclave they'd always known. One of them wore a solemn expression, looking off into a corner of the garage. Diana, Hilly spoke to her. Is she here? The girl nodded, pointing to a dark corner of the garage. I followed the line she drew, but couldn't see anything there. Haley gave her a hug before coming over to me. This is one of your dad's properties, she said. He kept it a secret, like a lot of things. There's something you should see. The mention of his name made a hole in my stomach. I wasn't sure if he was alive or dead, not knowing the power this Helen woman possessed, or by what means he would have perished. I followed Haley from the garage and into the main house inside an office of the main entrance. She led me to a chest that she opened. I didn't know a lot about your dad, she said. He's been in the family for a very long time. All of your ancestors have been. I know he kept a lot of the documentation here. I think he'd want you to have it, to know where you came from. She looked at me then, an expression of sympathy on her face. She touched my arm gently and then walked back to the main entryway to help the girls get settled. I turned back to the chest, a metaphorical treasure of information I never knew about my family. I picked up the first item on the top, an old picture taken many years ago. It showed a man. He was wearing a Confederate soldier's uniform. I remembered what my dad said then one of your great-grandfathers during the Civil War. Something he did then set this entire thing into motion. I stood up from the chest, looking at the man in the picture. I wondered if the answer lay hidden in this pile of old documents, a piece of the family's history that could bring this whole thing to an end. I moved the picture to the side, and, pulling out the numerous papers and documents, I dove headfirst into the rabbit hole of history, to connect to a past I had never known, and find an answer that could rid us of this evil.